You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today. You know, starting wayfinding is the most joyful and amazing and incredible, wonderful thing I've ever done. Uh, Every day I'm so excited to be here and uh, I would not ever choose to do anything other than this. And it's been the hardest thing I've done by far, hands down, (laughs) no question, right? There's a, I mean, there's like an additional level of pressure when you're doing that kind of work that you care that deeply about. And you can't hide when things go well, that's great. When things go poorly, that's great. You know, you can't hide from any of it. You, You have to be present and be there and own all of it. That was Michelle Jones, the founder of the Wayfinding Academy, a new college in Portland, Oregon that flips the college experience on its head. Rather than students spending two to four years taking classes and then figuring out who they want to be in the world, Students at the Wayfinding Academy learn to live life on purpose and then use that knowledge to sculpt their learning experience. She's joined by Austin Goldberg, one of the members of our first cohort of students. I say our first cohort because I'm the chair of the Board of Advisors as well. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. If you've listened much to um, the podcast or if you've seen some of the writing, you may have heard me talk about the Wayfinding Academy. Um, I'm delighted to be the board chair of the Wayfinding Academy. It's a new startup college here in Portland. New as of last year, although um, the team started the work a few years ago. And for today's episode, what I thought I would do is pull on the founder, Michelle Jones, and one of the students, Austin Goldberg, to talk about what Wayfinding is, what the experience is, and you know why we're taking this crazy journey of starting a new college um, in in. Portland. And what you'll find throughout the conversation is that the Wayfinding Academy experience is not actually just about wayfinding. It's about making a revolution in higher education and really making the model work better for students than working than what it's currently doing. So yes, we're talking about Wayfinding Academy, but we're also talking about some of the issues and, and dynamics that's happening in higher education. Michelle, thanks so much for joining me today. And I'm just delighted to have this conversation. It's my pleasure, Charlie. I am delighted to have it as well. Austin? Hey, I'm glad <laughs> to be here. Thank you for having us. <laughs> All righty. So everybody knows our voices now. That, that's part of the trick here. So um, Michelle, I know you've told this story so many times now, right? Um, but I'm going to ask you to indulge me yet again to, to tell me the story. Because again, you, um, we, we share something in common here. We, we are both people who left the traditional academic environment because of some of our frustrations with it, right? And I've told Michelle this before. What I've, why I really admire Michelle is rather than just leaving it, she decided to do something about it. Um, and so there were some issues and problems and just your experiences were not optimal while, while you were teaching. So tell us about that and how that led up to starting Wayfinding Academy. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I love that we, you and I connected years ago over this same shared frustration about the traditional higher education system. And, um, I guess the way I would put it, so I was a, I was a professor for about 16 years in pretty traditional liberal arts, four-year colleges, that kind of thing. 
And um, it felt like the way that we do higher education is backwards. That first we ask young people to pick a college to go to. And we don't really give them other options in a meaningful way of like what the path to successful and purposeful lives might look like. And then once they get there, we hand them a piece of paper. I guess it's now online more, but still often on paper and say, hey, pick one of these things to, to major in, to focus on for some portion of your time and give them an advisor that they get to meet with for, I don't know, 10, 20 minutes a year to talk about how to map that all out. And then we usually don't ask them till the very, very, very end. And usually it's then like concerned family and friends of, well, what do you really want to do with your life? So like now you're nearing the end of this, what are you going to do with it? And uh, then they don't get to try it out most of the time until after they've finished. So after they've graduated, they have the piece of paper, they um, often nowadays have a whole heck of a lot of debt that they're paying back. And um, it felt to me as a faculty member, I, I was teaching courses in organizational behavior and leadership, and I would get them at the very, very end of their college career, usually like juniors and seniors. And I'd, I'd ask them, like, my classes would be about, so what's your purpose in the world? What kind of leadership do you want to do? What's the vision for change you want to make uh, in your community? And um, why are you in college and what role does this play in your life? And um, they would both be grateful for the questions and pretty angry that they didn't get them at any point previous in their college career or even like before they went to college, before they made that choice. So after years of trying to talk through this frustration with students and seeing uh, the pain and seeing so many of them graduate and then take a job that they really didn't love, that they had no passion for, that they just took one because they needed one because now they had all this debt to pay back and they still didn't know their purpose in the world. Um, I decided uh, it was time to do something about it. And so, uh, yeah, about two and a half years ago, I decided to quit my job as a professor and start my own college to turn it frontwards. And so we start at Wayfinding, we start with the questions, even before they join us at Wayfinding. It's part of the getting to know each other and application process of who are you? What do you want to do with your life? What are you passionate about? What do you care about? Um, what, what kind of difference do you want to make in the world? And then we figure out how we can work together to help students um, clarify that and set some next steps in place and figure out that path for them. And we give them a guide who they meet with weekly for, it's supposed to be 45 minutes or so, but I think Austin will uh, back me up on this. I think he and his guide meet for like, I don't know, twice that long every week or something. Um, and they meet individually and then also in groups with their guide all the time and plan out this path, navigate their two year experience at Wayfinding and get set up for their next steps afterwards. And in most cases, it's looking like most of our students in the first cohort will start their next steps while they're still with us, you know, while they're still at Wayfinding, so that when they leave, they know what they're doing next, and they're already doing it, probably. So that's not a, a super, like, a medium-length answer to why. You know, I'm impressed because um, it, it takes me longer. Um, <laughs> maybe I'm not as pr at practice. You know, what I would say here, though, is there's another conversation that we have. So sometimes you're, you're absolutely right. They go, you know, take the kids through college. And then at the end, we ask them, like, what do you want to do in the world? So on and so forth. But I think there's also the front loading of the question of what do you want to do? I.e., what type of job do you want to do in the world? And is it going to earn you money? And that's the frame by which you should use to, to judge what you should study and how you should learn to be a young adult. 
Um, and so there's, yeah. there's this sort of commoditization of young people that happens. And so I think even when that happens, we don't ask, a lot of people don't get asked, who do you want to be in the world? They get asked, what do you want to do as a profession? And right. that determines we, where you should go. Yeah, exactly. And we don't presume anything about a particular profession. So we start with, and, and then the students at Wayfinding earn an associate's degree at the end of the program. And the degree they get is in self and society. And so half of their time with us is spent figuring out the self-exploration stuff of who am I, what do I value, um, what are my passions, what are my interests. And then the other half is about society. You know, what does the world need? What's going on right now? What are some major issues either in your local or national or global community? And the goal is always to help them figure out how to put those two things together in a meaningful way. And our presumption is that somewhere out of that conversation, they will figure out a way of earning an income in a way that supports the life that they want to have. But never is the goal to be like, okay, what job do you want and how do we prepare you for that? And I think they're building transferable skills that could be literally used to do just about anything after they leave here because they're going to change their minds. I mean, you and I are uh, slightly older than our typical students at Wayfinding, although not that much older. And um, we know from our own experience, like you're going to change your mind again in life about what you want to do and you're going to re-ask yourself these sets of questions. And now these students will have the skill set to do that in a meaningful way and be able to make those decisions with confidence about their next steps later in life too. Well, what I love about what you say there is, um, you know, looking at me, I'm in, I'm 37 now, right? And I know, given my my trajectory and thing, I've got another two, maybe three major career pivots that might happen between now and the time that I'm out of the game, right? Um, just life changing things happen, and you, and you you certain things run its course. I think we know that's going to happen. We know this happens mm-hmm. in people's adult journey. Um, but because people don't know how to answer the question, they don't ask the question and stay stuck, right? And I think there's, um, you know, one of the things that I tell people about the Wayfinding Academy is we're building the school that we wish would have existed when we were going through school, right? And imagine learning how to do this life cartography earlier in your life, right? Um, rather than being midlife and you still don't know who you are, but you still don't know how to answer the questions. You don't even know what the questions are to ask, right? right. And so you're just fundamentally frustrated and stuck. And the, the goal here is, and we know, you know, and, and we'll pull Austin here in a minute, we know that around, you know, people are going to turn 28 and 30 or so, they're going to do the whole Saturn's return thing. And then their way that they think about life is going to be different, because that's just what happens to so many different people. And so we're trying to um, give them the skills they need to rock whatever transition they are in their life, right? And so maybe they're in the earlier stage of life, like maybe um, Austin is, right? And this is their first, you know, they're in their early 20s and they're trying to figure out, what am I going to do during my 20s? Well, you're probably going to be asking, what am I going to be doing during my 30s and then 40s, right? And so on and so forth. It's it's a journey, folks. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited to be a part of it is um, by teaching, we also learn to answer the questions ourselves, Right. And it's super, super important um, that people think about that. So parents listening, obviously, um, think about the ways that you're helping your um, teenagers and young adults work through those decisions. But also, you know, part of what we do on the, on the podcast is learn to start asking those questions for whatever transition and whatever stage of life that you're in. And I think um, 
Michelle, you mentioned the they're learning transferable skills. What I would say is one of the reasons they're learning those transferable skills is because of the five sort of things that we help them with, right? And those are the stretching and the growing. But I'll have you talk about that because, um, you know, you're you're way more involved in it. But you know, I what I love about it is we're teaching people. Um, what used to be called character skills, right? Are you teaching them character traits? Um, but what are those five sort of things that we that we focus on? Yeah, so uh, totally new update. There are now six, which oh. is awesome. Um, but the the original five are so this is this comes from our promise. So this is the promise that we make to students when they agree to come and spend two years of their time and energy and a little bit of money with us to do this. Um, so we make them this promise. And the culminating effect of the program is that we promise that we will cultivate humans who are, one, empowered to thrive throughout the rest of their lives. Two, they uh, embrace curiosity. Three, they're willing to stretch. Four, they understand the importance of conscientiousness. That's the new addition. Uh, five, they know how to create community. And overall, the sixth one is that they, they understand what it means to live life on purpose. And so the idea is that, that, and that's sort of like a lofty set of goals right there. I mean, can you imagine if all of your friends and family and neighbors knew how to like thrive for their whole life, stretched, were curious, knew how, what it meant to live life on purpose and were conscientious, like, holy crap, that would be a whole different kind of world that we would live in, right? So it's, so on purpose, it's a big intentional lofty goal. Um, and then within that, we break that down into 10 learning objectives that we believe students will build throughout the core curriculum and throughout their labs, um, which as a sampling of those, it's things like uh, how to ask good questions, how to be a good critical thinker, how to collaborate, um, why story matters. And two of my particular favorites are uh, what it takes to do something epic, um, which is actually one of Austin's primary areas of focus for what he's working on, and uh, what how to make a plan for something hard that requires other people's help. And so all of those kinds of skills, I mean, you're going to use those throughout the rest of your life, no matter what you choose to do. Uh, so that's the idea. So we don't assume any that students are coming in with a particular thing that they want to do. Like they're not necessarily all entrepreneurs or all artists or are all nature lovers or community builders. Although we have all of those things. We help them figure out what that is and then set up this set of skills that can be used in anything. So you mentioned that there was an emergent thing, the building conscientiousness or being conscientious that, that sort of has emerged from the first year. Um, where, how has that come up? And, and um, you know, I'm going to say this, it's a little strange. I'm like, oh, I should have known that in advance, but I don't think we published much about it yet. Have we? No, 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 we haven't. It's mostly an internal document that we use. I mean, all of our faculty have it, our students have it. It's like now written on these little sticky notes and down in the hallway. Um, and it's the way that I, as the chief academic officer, have to um, collect data and be tracking the effectiveness of our curriculum and our program for accreditation purposes and grant applications and stuff like that. So, you know, it's mostly an internal document. And maybe um, this is like a good point for us to remember is that we probably should publish that somewhere. We should probably have that out for the world to see. Or maybe, you know, let the board know. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's also that. We're learning as we go, guys. We're totally learning. But I'm going to write this down right now. Yeah. Um, but where did, how was it revealed that that was something that, was, that we needed to add as something so important that we've got to put it on the primary lens in which we um, 
gauge the effectiveness of the program and students? Um, that's a great question. I, it's actually a thing that I have been collecting data on from the students' beginning. So I, I was sort of collecting it as a bonus thing, knowing it was important all along and knowing it was one of the focus areas of the program. But we hadn't added it to the official, like, what we promised until last month when our crew got together. And we it actually mostly came out of our, um, which is, I guess, how a small startup entrepreneurial organization works in any industry. Uh, it actually came out of our conversation about hiring because right now we're hiring a whole batch of new people to join our team. Um, we're hiring new guides because we have a new cohort about to start and we need more guides. And we're also hiring a new director of student recruitment and an internship program coordinator. And it's a thing that is in those job postings that we talk about, about what we're looking for in our crew members. And our crew is a super dedicated, amazing group of people. And they spotted like, oh, this is interesting. We ask for this among our crew members, but we don't seem to have any expectation of this among our students. And most of the other expectations of what we expect of crew also are what we expect of students. And like, it shows up in both sets of statements of alliance. Um, but this was one that didn't. And so we thought, well, do we expect students to be conscientious? And it turns out the answer is yes. Um, in particular, in their relationships with each other and in their relationships with their guide. Uh, and so we decided that we should probably, since we're tracking that anyway, we should probably add it to this document and add it to our ongoing conversations um, as we onboard our next cohort of students, talking with them about the importance of conscientiousness and accountability and doing the things you say you're going to do and keeping your promises and all of that. Uh, most of our students are pretty darn good at it, but I think as human beings, we all could use reminders of, of the importance of doing that. What I wanted to highlight here is um, you notice the intention on culture building as opposed to just being about the content and the knowledge that students are building. And so, th you know, that's one of those things we focus so much on is it's not just about what you learn in the classroom, but it's about the culture we're building as, as a group of people, but also the broader culture that we live in in the world. Yeah, and I think that, um, I don't know, I guess I'd be curious to hear Austin's perspective on this. I think... Um, I would guess that a lot of what students are learning is not necessarily from, I mean, they're probably learning equal amounts, I would guess, outside of the classroom as they are in the classroom, a part of being the way, part of the wayfinding culture and story and all of that. Yeah, well, seeing Sarah's curriculum before it rolled out, I imagine that they are learning a lot and being challenged a lot right now. Um, and so... Um, Austin, you might, you might pick on that, but you know, you, you're, you've been patiently smiling and nodding, Austin, we're going to pull you into the conversation. And what I wanted to do though, is set up around those five, now six core values, because I've seen a lot of growth in a lot of students, but I've also seen a lot of growth in you on some of those dimensions. And so, um, but let's roll back to the beginning again, it's kind of a crazy sort of thing to start one's own college. It's another act of courage <laughs> to join that particular college. So um, where were you in the sort of educational journey before Wayfinding, and why did you decide to go to Wayfinding? So before Wayfinding, I was pretty much on the traditional track of um, you graduate high school, with hopefully with good grades, and um, you go to school, and you pick something that you think you'll be good at, and... For me, in my case, it was um, I, I didn't ask myself those questions of like, what do I want to do? I just kind of looked around at like where I was and who was around me and kind of made my decision that way. Um, 
so where I was coming out of high school was I knew that I really liked playing baseball. Um, I had some interest from school saying like, oh, you can you can play for us. Um, so right away I was like, oh, OK, like that seems a lot more fun and relevant than like my, thinking about my future. Like I can't think about my future, but I can think about practice today and games and all that stuff. Like I can think about baseball. Um, so that was like the first thing I looked at of like, OK, well, where can I keep playing baseball? And um, and I my, my dad helped me with just like, oh, you well, you have to think about your future as well. Like you, you seem to be pretty good at math. Like maybe you should do business. And um, so I was like, OK, sure. I didn't I didn't know anything. I was just like, yeah, that sounds good. So um, I ended up going to um, I ended up going to a small private business school, um, also played baseball. So I was a student athlete. And um, right away, my freshman year, I ended up getting injured. Um, so, I mean, half a year into half a year into my college experience, that student athlete part was not there anymore. Like I, the, the athlete part was gone and I was now just a student and it was difficult because it was, I, I was stuck in this place and I was a full-time student now, which is like, I mean, if, if it's something that you never thought about and then you are just sitting in these classes and you're like, oh, this is why I'm here. It it gave me a whole new opportunity to stop and reflect and be like, oh, wow, this is not the place for me. Like it was just, I had just realized that I had made all of these big life decisions without actually thinking about them. And I was kind of making them just based on what I think I should do. Like just by looking at what my family has done, like all of my family members went to business school. And um, so I was just like, oh, that's what I'm meant to do. And Right, like right away, I just kind of felt like this is not for me. I just didn't like the way that classes were structured. I didn't, I didn't appreciate what we were learning. Um, it just, yeah, it just wasn't in line with who I was and like what my values were. And it was interesting because I didn't even know what values were back then. Like I didn't even, I've, I had never even heard that word until like recently at Wayfinding. But I just knew that something was up. Like something didn't feel right. I was like, okay a lot of my peers are seem to be seem to care about things that I don't necessarily care about. They seem to care about getting the good job and, um, the, the, the big house and the car, which is like, which is all fine if that's what you care about, but that's just not what I cared about. And I was like, this is not the environment for me. And, um, yeah, Charlie to, to, to kind of talk about the difficulty of like choosing to come to wayfinding. I think it was more difficult, like in actuality to, to choose to get off that path in the first place. Like the hard part for me wasn't choosing wayfinding. The hard part for me was like choosing, choosing something other than the path that I was on, choosing something other than like the traditional route. Cause that was just going against like what my family knew, what I knew, like what my whole life, like I was like, who, who am I? If I'm not this student athlete, if I'm not the, the good son that gets good grades, like who am I and what am I doing? And it's, it's very much like the work that you start out doing at wayfinding. And I had to kind of do it on my own as do everybody else who doesn't have the, uh, the opportunity to go to wayfinding. Um, so I know I'm talking a lot, but it's a, it's a, it's an interesting story because it was difficult to choose something other than the traditional route that I was on. Um, and I came across wayfinding pretty serendipitously. Like I had heard about, I, I was thinking about like, okay, where, where are the places in the country or in the world that like seem to 
seemed to care about the things that I care about. And Portland, Oregon was one of the, one of the places that I identified. And I was like, oh, I want to go there. That looks really cool. And around the same time I was thinking that, I found, um, I found this really cool conference kind of thing that goes on in Portland called World Domination Summit. And I was like, oh, these people seem to care about the same kind of things that I care about. Let me check it out. And I ended up attending WDS. And um, lucky for me, Michelle, <laughs> Michelle was one of the keynote speakers on stage. And she was talking about all about how um, this college that she just started has is, had, um, had, a, had achieved um, accreditation and how they were starting up in a couple of weeks. And... Um, I was in the audience and like, it was one of those moments where I was like, yes, that's what I've been looking for. Like, it's the kind of thing where like, that's what I've been looking for. And I didn't even know what I was looking for. Like, I didn't even know I was looking for it. I didn't know it existed. And here it is. Um, so yeah, it was, a. I, I went and talked to Michelle afterwards and I was like, I would like to be a student someday. I don't know when, but, uh, it, it seems like the kind of thing that I would do. And, <laughs> I tell everybody about this response because it was the funniest thing to me. But you said, um, Michelle, your words were, oh, awesome. Um, cool. Well, how interested are you? Because, I mean, if you're going to become a student, it's either 15 days from now or 380. <laughs> and I was like, okay, uh, I cannot wait that long. I'm going <laughs> to call home. I'm going to put in my two weeks. Like, I'm, I'm coming to this school. I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic. And, you know, um, Thanks for sharing your story there. So you seem to be the type of individual that, you know, takes risk. And as we know, the future is uncertain, and that's a good thing. But what have you experienced through wayfinding that's one of those things you didn't anticipate? You, you weren't looking for it, but going through it has made you a better person and a better sort of student um, and person able to engage in the world. Yeah, so... I think that right away, one of the things I realized about wayfinding is that there's so much freedom to do the things that you want to do and the things that you're interested in. And it's awesome because like my curiosity that I had since I was a child, like that childlike wonder with the world, like comes back to you. And I get to ask myself, like, what is it that I want to do? And like, what, what am I curious about? And how do I want to express this creativity that I'm feeling? But at the same time, it's, it's ironic because that is actually the most difficult part of wayfinding, in my opinion, is that that kind of work, the, the kind of work that you are doing just because like, it is something that lights you up, it's the most vulnerable work because you're putting a lot of yourself into it. Like You're putting 100% of yourself into that work, and it's hard to do that, um, and it's especially hard to share that with other people. Um, and I think that one of the things that I'm realizing right now, or the most important thing that I'm realizing about doing this kind of work is that no matter what it is, your, my issues are going to come up regardless. It's going to bring the challenging thing about the work is going to be the stuff that's already kind of deep, deeply rooted within myself because it's going to come up. It's going to be the things that I face. It's going to be those challenges. And I think it's, um, it's really interesting that I realized that because this last, this, this first part of wayfinding, I had realized that I was falling into this pattern of um, starting a project and then jumping to something that's more exciting or something that is um, more engaging. And 
I was able to kind of look at that pattern and I realized that like whenever I was about to get to the difficult part of something, I would move because I was like, oh, that's that's not what I'm meant to do. Like it, it doesn't feel good. And therefore, it's not the thing that I'm supposed to do. And after doing this a couple of times, I, I realized like, oh, wow, like this, this feeling doesn't go away. Like it's going to come up in any work that I do. Like it's going to get difficult because it's me doing the work. Like there's something there that I have to work through for a reason. Like it's me doing the work and it's my stuff that's coming up as a result of me doing this work. So I think that's, that's why wayfinding is so challenging to me. And it's something that I could have never anticipated coming into it because it seems like, I mean, on paper, it's like, oh, wow, this school is awesome. Like you can do whatever you want and you don't realize how challenging that actually is. Yeah. I, and that's been, the, that's been the hardest thing to explain as we're trying to recruit cohort two. And, and again, I second what you say, like it takes a special kind of um, courage like a crazy kind of courage to be in the inaugural cohort of a brand new college of a type that never existed before. And so these, these first students in this first cohort, like they're incredible on so many levels. Um, and as we've been recruiting cohort two over the past few months, um, this is one of the things that we, like we kind of tried to explain it to cohort one, but there was no real way to show them, no real way to say, oh, here, here's an example of an actual student's project and what they're actually going through and what they're actually doing. And here, why don't you talk to this person, you know, talk to Austin, find out what his experience has been like. Um, and now with cohort two, we've been able to do that and they can sit in on classes and they can sit in on labs. And um, so it's been really interesting to try to explain how hard it is to, to attempt to do your life's work. Um, you know, starting wayfinding is the most joyful and amazing and incredible, wonderful thing I've ever done. Uh, every day, I'm so excited to be here, and uh, I would not ever choose to do anything other than this. And it's been the hardest thing I've done by far, hands down, <laughs> no question. Right? So there's a, I mean, there's like an additional level of pressure when you're doing that kind of work that you care that deeply about, and you can't hide when things go well. That's great. When things go poorly, that's great. You know, you can't hide from any of it. You, you have to be present and be there and own all of it. So something that I've noticed is, um, so I've taught two labs at Wayfinding, right? And um, both of them are, one was got, I think, called Start Finishing, and then the second one was called Flourish by Finishing. And so we talked about some of the stuff around thrashing when you're doing work that matters the most to you and wearing the siren calls of the easier project and things like that. And so um, Austin was in some of those classes too, and I was really excited about that. Um, what on note though is sometimes I teach those those labs and that content to, you know, students and they just don't quite get it. Right. They don't feel like that tension between what I'm saying. It's like, I don't, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like I take the test, the teacher gives me, everything is fine. Um, but the wayfinding students got it. Like they got it to a degree that only entrepreneurs get it. Right. And it's not that the wayfinding Academy is really pushing entrepreneurs out the door, but there really is that, that aspect of when you live your life on purpose, and when you do work purposefully that matters to you, um, all of your stuff comes up, all of those demons and, and everything like that comes up. And um, Austin, I hope you don't mind if I share this. If not, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll go with it. From um, We'll go with it. But one of the things I think you learned from that particular lab was you were, doing, you were picking projects 
that um, if I remember correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, right, you were picking to do projects where people were going to basically give you the, give you the applause and that there was going to be social mm. recognition from that. But as we started yeah. talking about the cage match and things that mattered most to you, you realized that maybe those things aren't the things that matter the most to me. Maybe there's something else. And he actually, I encouraged all the students in my class, like, you're going to start with a project. But as we, as we work through this course, you might switch, right, to do something else that's deeper and more meaningful to you. And it might surprise you. So, Austin, can you kind of tell us a little bit about that? And did I remember that correctly? Yeah, 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 totally. Um, I just had a little trouble hearing you. That's why I was a little unresponsive. But <laughs> um, yeah, I one of the things I noticed when like we were prompted with that question of like, hey, pick a pick a project and we're going to dissect it and we're going to look at like what goes into doing it. Um, I can't remember what I chose, but I, we did an exercise of like, why are you doing this? Like asking yourself like, why did you choose this project? And it took me a while, but I realized like, oh wow, like I this is not the right type of motivation. Like I, I chose this, um, because I was motivated by like seeking, um, exactly like what you said, like I'm seeking like admiration or I'm seeking approval. And, um, yeah, it was a cool opportunity to be like, Oh wow. Like I am sometimes motivated by that and it's not necessarily the most healthy type of motivation there is. And I think I actually ended up choosing a different project entirely because I was like, Hey, Charlie, this is, this is something I just realized. And I don't feel like it would be the, the healthiest move to move forward with this project. Um, and I ended, I ended up choosing, I ended up choosing a project that was a little bit more difficult. It was more challenging. It might not have been as fun or exciting, but it was motivated by like actual passion and because I cared about it. And, um, I think that's the difference is, that I'm realizing is that like, it's so important to look at the motivations behind something, especially with me, because it, I'll fall into these patterns of choosing stuff that feels good or it's exciting or, um, stuff that gives me that like initial, um, like that initial satisfaction. But I'm realizing the importance of like doing that long-term thing of like doing something really difficult that is not going to feel good for a while or maybe, like maybe ever, but it's going to be worth it. And it was a, it's a genuine question that I had of like, why do people do things that are difficult? Why, why do people grind? Why do people develop this grit? Like, what's the point of doing something so difficult, something that feels so hard? Like, and, uh, I, I think, I think it's actually something I realized while on the Camino, like we do, we do these learn and explore trips at wayfinding as part of the curriculum. And, um, I think in March or April, early April, we went to Spain and walked the Camino de Santiago, which is um, a pilgrimage where you walk um, hundreds of miles to reach Santiago de Compostela. And it was hard. And it's, it's one of those things that I'm realizing. I think, that's what, I think it's like the main theme for me at Wayfinding is like when someone says something is difficult, like... I, I don't, I don't necessarily believe them or I didn't in the beginning of wayfinding, like same thing with Michelle, like what you were saying of like, you can tell, you can tell prospective students that this is difficult, but it doesn't click. Like you don't understand it until you actually do the work yourself. Um, and when I was on the Camino, like doing difficult things and being challenged took on a whole new meaning. Like I was like, Oh, okay. This is what it feels like to do something difficult. 
like when you feel like your calves are going to explode and you feel like your ankle, like you can't take another step. Like that is, that is what it means to do difficult things. And you reach the end. Like everybody reaches the end. You might not think you're going to, but you do. And you realize like, oh, wow, that was pretty epic what I just did. Like it was difficult. It was hard. I wanted to quit and I didn't. And now look at this thing that I just did because I was willing to, because I was willing to sit in that discomfort for a little while. How has that experience um, led you to being able to stick with a project or stick with an opportunity or stick with something that you think without that experience you may not have stuck with? Um, so that experience of the Camino kind of launched this, pro- like it, it, it led me to launch this project that I'm now working on. Um, because the one, the main thing that I was thinking about on the Camino was like, what does it mean to do something epic? What does it mean to live an epic life? Like what, what even goes into that and how do you do it? And being at Wayfinding, I was able to, um, being at Wayfinding, I'm able to like see a lot of these people around me doing epic stuff. Like whether it's looking at Michelle who started this brand new college or looking at some of the people on the board, like yourself, Charlie, or like Sean Keener or people doing these awesome, incredible things in the world, there's a disconnect for me because it's like I see those people and I see like the finished product of what they've done, but I don't know how the hell they got there. And that was the aim of the project that I took on. And I started with the question of like, what does it mean to do something epic and how do you get there? And I'm going to try to document that process because I don't know the answer. And I I think it's going to take me to some interesting places. Um, And I think think it's one of those things where like you don't realize how difficult it's going to be until you start doing the work because I've I've hit that I've hit that that wall that I spoke about earlier of like when I'm starting projects and I lose motivation and I usually jump like I had to sit in that and I had to stay there and I had to say like okay I'm just gonna feel this out like I this is the point where I would usually shift to something else this is where I would drop this project entirely and I have stuck with it and it I'm, it still doesn't feel like it still doesn't feel awesome. Like it still feels vulnerable and it still feels like um, this self doubt of like, what am I doing and why am I even doing this project? Like, why am I sharing it with people? And um, yeah, it's tough because it's, it brings up a lot of your stuff. Like you talked about, like it brings up your demons and it brings up all of those voices that tell you why you shouldn't be doing that thing. But um, I've, I've already kind of realized that like, if you sit in that place long enough, like, you you realize some interesting things. <laughs> you realize some interesting things indeed. And so just for context for listeners, you're in your early 20s, right, Austin? Yeah, I just turned 22. Okay. So that that's kind of the thing that, that pumps me up about wayfinding. Again, we have students from a variety of ages, but um, it's I can say looking back, I did not have that level of awareness. I don't know. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. But it... I don't think I was there when I was 22, right? So imagine like that we, we had more people answering those questions. So the twenties, I mean, the twenties I think are, are largely an age for exploration and journeying and figuring stuff out, but you can do that unintentionally or you can do that intentionally. Right. And our goal, when we look at sort of, and I mentioned the broader movement that we're trying to, to push out and trying to get people to ask the questions of is what happens when we all, no matter what stage of life, start turning up our antenna 
and living life on purpose and doing work that matters and sticking with stuff when it gets hard and doing things that not only benefit the community, but also benefit us. Like that's really what we're about. And it's just the perfect lab for that. Um, Michelle, I'm going to flip it back over to you real quick. Um, so that that's sort of Austin's journey. What other sort of journeys have you seen from students that you think um, might capture what it's like from their perspective? And, you know, we're a year into it, a year and some change um, of having real life students. How has the model really, like, shown you, like, this really works? And what have you learned from doing this that you're like, oh, I didn't think about that. We need to, we need to adjust this and focus more on that. So a bunch of broad questions there. So student journeys, um, what's worked well, and what have you figured out that like we need to adapt and iterate on? Oh my gosh, Charlie, how long do you have? <laughs> uh, there's so much there. Um, I guess I'll start with student journeys and kind of a couple of broad statements. Um, a little bit, so I imagine people listening to this might think, oh, okay, well, I'm not 22, this thing's not for me, or I've already kind of figured out what I want to do, or I have no idea what I want to do, and this might not be for me. And um, so a little bit of demographic information, I suppose, about our first cohort of students, and it turns out we, uh, our second cohort of students more or less looks like this as well, that uh, they're all ages. So our youngest student was 18 when he started, and our oldest student up to this point uh, is 39. She's about to turn 40. And so I think people come with all sorts of um, at being at various different places in their life. And the one thing that they all seem to have in common is that they want to make sure that they're living life on purpose and they want to be in a supportive learning community as they go through that journey of figuring some of that out. Um, they came from all over the country. So we weren't sure quite where they would come from when we started this. And we sort of assumed that, oh, they'll probably, it's probably more likely that they'll hear from us hear about us if they live nearby. We got a lot of local media coverage in the early days. Um, but, you know, Austin comes from Massachusetts. And uh, it's, I think it's like 70% of our students are not from Oregon or the Pacific Northwest. So they come from all over. So they really come here with purpose and with intention to be part of way, wayfinding and part of the community, um, which definitely changes the dynamic. You don't get a student here uh, who doesn't know why they're here and hasn't very, very intentionally chosen to be here and stay being here. Um, so one thing that I think we've learned, but I think the students have learned it, I think I've learned it, the crew has learned it, um, is that the the wayfinding experience seems to work equally well for people who have some small idea or a medium-sized idea of what they want to do with their lives and what they're passionate about, and people who have no idea and can throw a bunch of things at their guide and say, I don't know. Like Clara comes to mind. Like Clara showed up here. She was like, I don't know. I want to do things on purpose. I care about knitting and fiber arts and social anxiety and beekeeping and communities and all, like all of these things. And she was like, here, what do we do with this? And um, part of it is being patient through the early stages of the process of really having those conversations and both with your guide and with the faculty and with yourself. Um, and Clara just last week hosted a, like a film screening here. And I heard her talking with some people saying, you know, I came here with all of these, because film also is a thing she's interested in. And she came here say, and she was telling this person, um, 
I came here with all of these different interests and all these different passions, and I couldn't see how they tied together in any meaningful way. And everybody kept telling me, no, you just have to pick one and do one of these things. You can't do all of these things. And now she says, I, I see how I can tie together three or four or five of these things in a meaningful way and build projects that don't just get me to engage with one of my interests, but that bring like several of them together. And that she feels like through being here, she's been able to figure out um, like different options that she has for actual incomes and careers and paths and stuff like that, that she just didn't even know existed before or that were options for her. So I think that's one of the things that, um, and, and Clara's a, Fairly, I think she's 20, she turned 21 while she's here in her first year. And so she's a fairly traditional aged college student type person as well. Um, but I think that her journey is not that dissimilar from like Annie, who's in her mid thirties and already has a bachelor's degree uh, that she got like a decade ago that she's, and then she's sort of done everything but that career field since then. And um, also comes in with lots and lots and lots of interests and has spent her most of her adult life ruling certain things out and was trying to figure out what she could create out of what was remaining of her interests. And so I think that's pretty typical. Some come in with a lot more life experience and knowledge and some come in with a bit less of that. But um, it seems that the program and the experience here works equally well. Um, one of the things I've, I feel like, I guess I'd say I was sort of blindsided by or wasn't expecting that I've had to have a steep learning curve on is the importance of the role of the guides program. I knew all along when designing this that um, I wanted us to not have a traditional academic advising model. I mean, it doesn't make sense anyway because we don't have grades and we don't have tests and we don't have textbooks and we don't have like, you don't have to like sign up for specific classes and we don't have different majors. So to some extent it didn't even make sense. But I didn't want to throw out a role like that. In fact, I wanted to make it a bigger piece of what students experienced, where they have a person that, that is sort of like the keeper of their story and helps them. Because sometimes when we're living our own lives, it's hard for us to like zoom out. The guide program is the thing that I always knew I wanted to be a center cornerstone um, piece of the experience for students. And it was a thing that we... Um, weren't totally 100% prepared to launch when the time, you know, when students arrived and we were like, okay, now here we go. They all have guides. And um, it's, so I think it's been a thing that we've had, to, and, and I guess to some extent we couldn't really have planned it all out in advance because until we actually had students on the ground, it was all in theory anyway. I mean, Charlie, you were at all those early wisdom council meetings in your living room about, you know, what should this guide program be? What, what are guides? What are not guides? You know, what's the, what do we even call them? That was also decided in your backyard of what do we even call, call these people um, that best describes their role. And we had all these great ideas and great plans, but until we had students on the ground who were actually trying to guide, it was, you know, somewhat just guesswork. And I think, um, so the first couple of terms, we went through some lots of iterations of let's try this, let's get some feedback, let's try that, let's get some feedback. And it seems like we've now gotten to a point where uh, we have figured out a lot of the things that seem to work that we will keep doing uh, going forward. And uh, which is really, really great and just in time because I'm about to hire like three new guides to, to join us for the next cohort. And I'm in a much better position now to be able to know what I'm looking for in a guide and in, in that hiring process, which, um, 
I just didn't realize how challenging it would be to turn this idea that was in my head that I know intuitively into real world action and say to these people who are guides, because I'm not a guide, and be like, no, 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 do it like this, right? And, and see that show up. So uh, Austin and I actually had many conversations about this while walking the Camino about the role of guides and what it was like and how challenging this was, has been. So um, I feel like that's a really cool part of our culture here too, is um, that, we that we can have conversations like this. When things don't go the way we intend for them to go or the way we plan for them to go, that we can sit down and have open, transparent, honest conversations about all of that. And I hope that students feel like they know what's going on behind the scenes. Like if a decision is being made, they, they know why that decision is being made and they have the opportunity to ask those questions, which I know that uh, as when I was a student, I never felt like I even knew who to, who to ask or what to ask or had access to ask people things like that. So hopefully um, the students feel like they've been with us all along on this journey of like, well, crap, the guides program needs, needs more resources, needs more help, needs more time. Um, yeah. So I, for me, that's been the hugest learning piece of this year. I mean, there's been a lot of them, but I'd, I'd say that's for me been the biggest one. What I will say is as the, um, as the, the person who co-architected the, the guide program with, you know, the different wisdom council people here and really synthesized all that kind of stuff, it was one of the more challenging, um, roles and programs I've ever had to design. And I've, I've designed joint force military training environments, um, because it was the wow. degree of competency that it would require for someone to be able to do that at the level of skill and, the level of personal um, um, personal competencies around boundaries and things like that, that you know, it was a super challenging sort of thing to go. And like, and I, and I appreciate that now. It, it was one of those things that when we rolled it out, the, the guide program. This is just for for as an aside for people. When we rolled it out, it was a pretty intense program that I think we did a. I could have done a better job of enrolling. Um, some of the guides we had at the time into the program and how intense and how necessary it was. And where we are now is actually a synthesis from what we had with a few of the lessons that we heard. So we've kind of gone forward by going backwards. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. But, it, but it's one of those where it's like, yeah, this takes a lot of time and thought and investment, right, um, for this to for this to work this way. Because it's not, you know, the, a guide is um, a combination between a um, academic coach, a career counselor, and a personal mentor, right, all sort of rolled into one position, right? Um, and, and that's just a piece of their role, because that's their role with directly with the students they're working with. But in addition to that, it takes a very special skilled person because they also have to work as a team with all the other guides mm -hmm. and then with student services and then like with the curriculum and the faculty and the whole crew. So uh, like it's it, the primary role is serving the students and then but there's also a close secondary role of like serving the entire organization and the entire team of guides. Yeah, I tell you what hiring for hiring for this. Oh, boy. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say publicly that we under-resourced the program as far as what, I mean, all things considered. Totally. Uh, and so that's one of those things is that like, yeah, we have to, there needs to be sort of, so it's an organizational development question. Um, right. But it's also this, this very prominent cultural question, because how do we, um, with, without the guide program, um, you know, it would, it would be taking the Austins of the world and saying, okay, there's this really hard stuff that you've got to do that, that really matters to you. Go figure out, like, have fun with that, right? <laughs> it's like, 
yeah, that would be incredibly challenging and, and not set, you know, the, the academy or the student or the, or any of the faculty up for success. Um, and yeah. so, yeah. And also being willing to, um, adjust and shift and like Austin's a really good example of this. Austin's had a couple of guides because like as he has changed in his journey and several students have done this, where as they have changed and evolved and grown in their journey um, and realizing what they need of, from a guide is sli- changes slightly, right? So sometimes they just want somebody to listen to them. Sometimes they want somebody to hold them deeply accountable and like hold them to deadlines and help them set deadlines. And sometimes they need one and then they need to switch to the other because they're at a different stage. And so us all being willing to say, oh, okay, that's a good thing to learn. And yes, students can switch from one guide to another as long as they know why they're doing that and that that's going to be more effective for them. And so sort of rolling with all of that and having that um, agility is is an important thing to have, which is, is hard when planning an organization and staffing it and resourcing it to know that that's going to change throughout, you know, throughout just one year that has changed multiple times. Yeah. So, I mean, I like to think in terms of fractals, like snow, <laughs> flakes of snow that are, that are, um, they have a repeating pattern that, that reflects across the whole thing. And that sort of dynamic um, play between freedom and agility, like you can't really lean into freedom and, and living life on purpose without being agile and being like um, open-minded about the way things change. And so as soon as you get rigid, you lose freedom, right? Um, but at the same time, if, if any creative person out there knows this, or if you're, you know, if you're an entrepreneur or whatever, there are times where you just crave for someone to tell you what to do. Like, yeah, will, yeah. will you Sometimes please tell me, is, yeah, will you yeah, please tell me what this assignment is? Like, please tell me that I, I don't care. It's 800 words. I just want to write it. Don't give me the like, well, it depends on what you want to do. Like, well, you know, how does this best fit your values and your interests right now? I was like, oh, crap, that's hard work. Like, just give me an yeah. assignment, you know? And the students early on were asking for that a little bit. Like in the first term, they had um, their first two courses are Wayfinding uh, 101, which is the self-exploration course. And the other one is Understanding Our World. So those are like big, huge, giant topics. And uh, in the early days, they were like, yeah, can you just like tell me what to do? And then I'll get the answer and then we can move forward. And so it took the faculty who, who are talented faculty who I hired away from other places and who... Um, are really skilled at facilitation and at teaching and at guiding students through these kinds of learning opportunities. Um, but even for them, they were it's hard. It's hard when the traditional education system sets it up one way that the faculty have to get out of that mindset, the students have to get out of that mindset, then everybody has to get out of that mindset. And so it's tempting for everybody to just see, be like, oh yeah, let's just kind of figure out the, the box that we're going to operate in and let's just go there. But um, we've mostly resisted that, which I am grateful for. Yeah, mostly resisted. And then sometimes as an organization, it gets challenging because there's some parts of the box that actually really do make sense, right? Like, uh, the, like the financial budgeting kinds of boxes? Yeah, like it makes a lot of sense to have those rigid constraints around certain types of things. Um, yeah, and then there yeah. are others that are not. So it's not even, even where you're rigid, you have to be flexible or even when you, you come up. And that's the sort of thing is learning to think on your feet learning to be values driven, um, learning to think two or three steps ahead about how the choices you make now affect yourself and other people. Um, and being clear about the fact that this slice of time 
that we have is very precious, right? Whether it's Austin's two years here, whether it's, you know, the time that we have on there. And like that, I think, is the trick of, 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 of the art of living well um, or to use Austin's project like living an epic life or living a good life. There's so many different languages around this. Like, that's, I think, what um, we are out to do in wayfinding. And this, it's hard, but it doesn't mean it's not worth doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, Charlie. Um, it seems like I'm a I'm a I'm a champion of wayfinding. Imagine that. Um, wow. we're lucky to we're lucky to have you in our corner as a champion. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, wrapping things up, um, you're both guests, and so you're both going to get to make an invitation or a challenge to to our listeners right now. So, Austin, I'm going to start with you. Based upon what we've talked about this in this episode, what would you invite or challenge people um, to do or consider um, based upon that? Ooh, this is cool. Um, I think that based on this conversation, the thing that I would invite the listeners to do is ask themselves what part of their life or what, what is what is something that is challenging them that is a result of just doing things the way things are done? Um, what, like what, what, what are some areas that you can question your life just because you're doing it just because that's how you do things or that's how things are done? Um, I think I might need some help like with rephrasing it in a better way, but um, just trying to get at the fact that like, you don't have to do things one way just because that's how they're done. I think that's one thing that I'm taking away from wayfinding and, and the thing that I realized coming into wayfinding. So that is one thing that I would urge your, urge the audience to consider as well. Fantastic. Michelle. Um, I think I want to go back to something that Austin said about the moment when he first learned about wayfinding. Um, I think his reaction he's described was something like, that thing. I didn't even know I was looking for that thing. I didn't even know that thing existed, but that's the thing that I've been wanting. That's the thing I want as my next step in life. And I think that that's, it's the thing that we've heard for the last couple of years, most consistently from people is I wish this existed when, when I was making these decisions, when I was going to college, um, where was this back then? Why wasn't this around then? And so I feel like that's how we find our people, like whether there are people who are applying for jobs with us or people who want to be luminaries and financial donors or people who want to be students with us is that they have a reaction like that. They hear about us and, and this is essentially the feeling that they feel is like, that's the thing I've been looking for. I was, I thought college was going to be like that. This is the kind of community I want. So I guess my challenge and invitation to people is that if, if you're hearing this and at any point during this conversation that you've had that feeling, um, reach out to us, start a conversation with us. Um, I don't know when this will air exactly, but our next cohort of students starts on August 28th. And as we heard from Austin, apparently 15 days before that is plenty of time to make a decision to, to join us as a student. Um, but also we're always looking for new friends and fans and supporters and people who believe what we believe. So um, reaching out to us through our website or phone number or email, any of that would be fantastic. Austin, Michelle, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been a blast. Thank you, Charlie. This is fun. Yeah, thank you, Charlie. This is awesome. 
Alrighty, so you heard it from Austin and Michelle. From Austin, what parts of your life are you doing just because it's the status quo and it's the way that things are done? What would happen if you questioned and just walked up to the edge of that and maybe decided to do something different and intentionally that worked better for you? What can you change? What can you do within the next week to walk up to that edge and grow and experience and explore? And from Michelle. If anything we've said has resonated with you, please do check us out at wayfindingacademy.org. Um, we're always looking for friends. We're always looking for new people to join the community. Um, we have different events that are available for full-time students and for the curious explorers that happen to come our way. Until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. To get more resources that'll help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to productiveflourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast on iTunes.